0: Good morning, One Community Church, it's good to be with you all. My name is Brian Loritz. I bring you greetings from uh, North Carolina. uh, I've got uh, three sons, Quentin, Miles, and Jaden, 19, 18, and 16. And I'm here preaching to help pay for my grocery bill. Uh, It it don't make no no sense. Just celebrated 21 years of marriage to my beloved bride, Corey, and uh, we are grateful... We are grateful for God's faithfulness. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to look at a story, an episode in the life of Jesus, beginning in verse 36 on through verse 50. As you're navigating your way there, I am so grateful for our pastor, Dr. Conway Edwards and his wife, Jada. Uh, and if your life has been touched in any way, shape, or form by their ministry, would you just give the Lord another hand, ca- hand clap of praise? Luke chapter 7, pick me up in verse 36. Luke writes, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with, speaking of Jesus, him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, make note of this phrase, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining, reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to "'Wet his feet with her tears, "'and wiped them with the hair of her head, "'and kissed his feet, "'and anointed them with the ointment. "'Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, "'saw this, he said to himself, "Hmm, if this man were a prophet, "'he would have known who and what sort of woman "'this is who is touching him, "'for she is a sinner, as if he's not. "'And Jesus, answering, said to him, "'Simon, I have something to say to you. "'And he answered, Say it, teacher.' A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. This is interesting. He's turning to... This woman, who is a woman of the night, there's kids here, so I won't tell what she really does, but we know, and he's saying to the religious leader, you need to learn from her. Ain't that something? You, you need to follow her example. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I want to teach from the subject this morning, the one with the prostitute, the Pharisee, and Jesus. The one with the prostitute, the Pharisee, and Jesus. God, would you speak to us? We have spoken to you in worship. We have proclaimed, Lord God, our affection for you. We have declared that that you will win the vi- the victory in our in our battles that we face in our life. But now Lord God, we need to hear from you. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. We need to be reminded of your goodness and of your grace. It said that in Lord God that I'm grateful that you've sent me here to encourage your people. Would you save someone's soul either in the room or or watching Lord God via one of their devices? Would you call sinners to repentance? May we leave better than when we came in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. His name was John Newton. And for many years, John Newton commandeered a ship called the Greyhound. He would sail down the west coast shores of Africa, would beat and bound black people, would pack them under inhumane conditions, would sail them through the Middle Passage, and would sell them into bondage. John Newton's lucrative career was one of enslaving people. He was a slave trader. All that changed on April 4th, 1748. The night before, his ship almost sank, and he literally saw his life Flash before his eyes the next day someone handed him a book a Christian book written by a man named Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ he read this book and God began to do a work in his heart and life not long after reading this book God saved him and he gave up all the money he was making in the slave trade and wouldn't you know it he would end up becoming a pastor But if you track with John Newton's life, he would always wince at the shame of his past. He would hear voices of condemnation declaring, how can you really set spiritual captives free when you enslaved people made in the image of God? Then one day it hit him, a beacon of light that he called grace. He was writing a song with his partner, Tom, Thomas Cowper, and in the middle of writing, he heard these words, dipped the pen in the ink, and wrote them on the paper, words we all know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton never got over two things. He never got over the shame of his past. No, he didn't fixate on his sin, but every now and then he would take take a glance in the rearview mirror. But more than that, having seen his sin, he never got over the grace of God. John Newton illustrates for us A problem I believe that so many churches and so many Christians have. So many Christians forget that what gets them into the kingdom, grace, is the same thing that keeps them in the kingdom, grace, and is the same thing that will carry them into heaven, grace. You weren't saved because of your good choices, you weren't saved because you came to church. You weren't saved because of what side of the tracks you grew up on. You were saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Never get so grown. Never get so edumacated. Never get so sophisticated in your faith that you fail to be moved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is Grace. My friend Matt Chandler down the road defines grace this way. He says, fundamentally, grace means you didn't eat your dinner, but you still get dessert. That we've all messed up. We've all blown it. We've all said things we shouldn't have said, done things we shouldn't have done, thought things we shouldn't have thought. And yet, in the omniscience of God, God knowing everything we have ever done, will ever do and our doing says i still want you we are saved by the grace of our lord and savior jesus christ and yet the question on the table is why are so many people who claim to have received the grace of god why are so many so-called christians judgmental legalistic Condemning, self-righteous, arrogant. It is high spiritual treason to not pass on to others what God through Christ has passed on to us. Grace. It's so much easier to talk about than to legitimately daily receive and to legitimately daily pass on to people who don't deserve it. Grace. What makes grace so hard? I'm convinced that what makes grace so hard for us, friends, is you and I are being discipled in a culture that is steeped in what I would like to call the meritocracy. Can you say that word with me? Meritocracy. Meritocracy means that I find my sense of identity, value, significance, and esteem Not based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, but I find my sense of significance, value, identity, and esteem in my own performance. The meritocracy says, look away from Jesus and look to your zip code. Look away from Jesus and look to the letters behind your name. Look away from Jesus and look to your looks. Look away from Jesus and look to the way your kids behave the meritocracy says i am my performance just a few years ago i was preaching to a group of nfl athletes and in the middle of preaching to them i'm trying to explain grace to these people and i could drop names names many of us in this room would would absolutely know these are these are incredible athletes not like the offensive line of the dallas cowboys but anyways um um, these individuals have just done phenomenal things and I said to them I feel sorry for you because from the time you were little people you were taught to look at the stat sheet to find your sense of identity you 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 were taught that that I am how many yards I've rushed for I am how many yards I've thrown for. I, I am how many tackles I've made. in. do enough of those, you'll, you'll get recruited into college. And do enough of that while in college, you, you may get drafted. And once you're drafted, you keep on performing at a high level. You'll, you'll get that, that contract you've been dreaming for all your life. Perform, 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 perform. And I want you to know that's not just NFL athletes. The meritocracy impacts all of us. Some of us have put our sense of joy and identity in our report cards. So if I perform enough in the classroom in high school, I'll I'll get into the college I want. If I perform enough in in college, I'll get to the grad school I want. If I do well enough in grad school, I'll get the job I want only to discover that once you get that dream job, you still have to perform. And if you don't perform, you'll, you'll get thrown out only to have someone else perform in your place. It never ends. Perform, perform, perform. And yet in the middle of all this stands the kingdom of God in which the kingdom of God shakes its fist at the meritocracy. And Jesus says, you can never perform enough. You can never do enough. You on your own is not enough. That's why you don't need a prophet, you don't need a teacher, you don't just need a self-help guru, you need a Savior. And that Savior, Jesus says, is me. So what we need to understand is that the foundation of your faith is grace. Hear this, grace does not exist without failure. Are you with me? Grace presupposes failure. Without failure, without sin, there is no grace. How do you know you are a gracious person? Well, that's easy. How do you handle people who have failed you? How have you handled people who have messed up? So I want to talk about grace. I want to give a little simple word on what it means to be gracious people and what does that look like. As we come to our text Jesus is in a town called Nain and in verse 34 two verses before our story starts Jesus lets it slip of what he's known for. Jesus says here's my reputation My reputation, he says, is that I am known for being the friend of sinners. Jesus says, if you want to know everything there is to know about me, I have come to hang out and do life with people who have made a mess of their lives. That's who I am. Jesus says, I don't just fraternize with people who make me look good. You can't make me look good. I have come to hang out with individuals who are toe up from the flow up. I I have come to hang out with people who have blown it. So parenthetically, if you are here today and you're like, man, I have really blown it. This has been a rough week. This has been a rough stretch. I've blown it on my job. I've lost my job. I've I've blown it and and I've gotten involved in some addiction. I've, I've blown it with my children. I've blown it in my relationship. I've gone through a divorce or a couple of divorces. And i'll tell you the truth that's my fault i've blown it blown it blown it jesus says you are exactly the kind of person i have come to do life with i've come to be a friend of sinners now our text opens up by saying that he is the invited guest of a person named simon the pharisee simon has invited jesus to his house now let's not be so quick as to put a villain hat on simon I don't think Simon really has made up his mind as our story unfolds as it relates to who this Jesus is. I think Simon's relatively neutral. I think Simon has good intentions. He's not there to pick a theological argument with Jesus. In fact, he refers to Jesus as teacher or rabbi. He esteems him. Not only that, our text tells us that Simon is operating under the assumption that Jesus is a prophet. Here's Simon He hasn't made up his mind just yet on who Jesus is. Scholar William Barclay tells us that whenever you had a distinguished guest at your house, like Jesus, who who is a rabbi, you would always have a large crowd, some of whom had been invited, others of whom have not been invited. Because they're there to glean pearls of wisdom from this esteemed teacher. And one of the people who shows up is a woman. A woman. We don't know her first name. We don't know her last name. We just know her by her morals or lack thereof. For she is simply described as being a sinner. Now, I see some kids here, so let me just say it this way. Scholars are agreed that this label means she's involved in the world's oldest profession. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Scholars are agreed that she is a woman of the night. And she walks in and everything about how she is treating Jesus tells us this ain't the first time she's met him. Because everything about the way she is relating to Jesus sends the message that she is just there to say thank you. And you only say thank you to a person who has done something for you. And in this text, we don't see what Jesus has done, which means Jesus had interacted with her before and had so moved her that here she is with this reputation showing up at a religious leader's house that is packed with people and she don't care anything about who's around all she knows is i've got to get to jesus to tell him thank you because jesus has shown me grace so she's crying she's wetting his feet with her tears she's drying his feet with her hair now this is interesting because back then in the first century world women never wore their hair down in public Only a certain kind of woman did that. And so to have your hair down in public was a huge cultural no-no. It was highly seductive and suggestive. She's rubbing his feet. Another huge cultural no-no outside of just being gross. Rubbing his feet. Everything about this woman says... I haven't gotten the memo about how to act around the preacher. I haven't gotten the memo about how to act my first time in church. All she knows is I'm grateful. And what is Jesus doing? Is Jesus uncomfortable? No, he's not uncomfortable. He just keeps on going on, eating his hummus as if nothing has happened. Everything about this woman says, I feel welcomed. And the reason she feels welcomed is because when she first met Jesus, Jesus handled her sin, handled her shame, handled her baggage with grace. How do I know I'm a gracious person? People who've screwed up in life feel comfortable around me. They feel comfortable sharing the shame of their lives with me. And they feel comfortable because they know when they do it, they won't be met with law or condemnation or judgment. They will be met with grace. I travel a lot. And because I travel a lot, um, my baggage, I pay a little bit more money for it because I want it to last. And because I pay a little bit more money for my baggage, I'm peculiar about my baggage. Now, one morning, my son, my 19-year-old son, had to catch a flight to go hang out with some friends, and I'm sitting there in our living room, enjoying my cup of coffee, my Bible's open, I'm meeting with Jesus. It's a wonderful time. And my son, my 19-year-old son, waits to the last minute to pack his stuff, as is par for the course for him. And he says to me, "Dad, Dad, can I use your baggage?" Now, I must be filled with the Holy Spirit this day. I said, sure, son, you can. My wife, who's seated across from me, looks up over her glasses as if my cheese has just slid off its cracker. So my son goes and gets my baggage, throws his stuff in there, high-fives me goodbye, and I, I get up. And go to the window and watch him take my baggage to his car. And and what I see disturbs me. Because he takes my baggage, my stuff, that I treat so delicately, and just throws it in the car. And when he throws it in the car, the Spirit of God left me. (laughs) I immediately make a beeline for him. I says, no, 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 no. You got to bring that back. We'll get you another piece of baggage. He says, why? I says, because I don't like the way you handled my stuff. How do you handle other people's stuff? How do you handle other people's baggage? The Bible is clear. Be careful how you handle other people's sin. Because we will be judged. Where do you get that from, Pastor? There there is a scene in the life of Noah. Noah, the one who built the ark, flood came. They navigate through the flood, and finally they get to where they're going. The flood subsides, and, and Noah gets drunk. And the brother must have gotten sloppy drunk. Because when we see Noah, he's naked. He's in a state of shame. His son sees him. And when he sees him, his son doesn't deal with him the way he should. Instead, his son sees his shame goes and gossips about his dad in his shame to his two brothers. His two brothers don't say a word. They just simply go to their father in the midst of his shame, took a garment, and covered their dad's shame. When his dad finds out what his son had done in not covering him, he casts judgment on him. And the moral of the story is clear. Be careful how you handle other people's shame. Peter must have had this scene in his mind centuries later because when he sits down to write first Peter I love what he says he says love covers a multitude of sins condemnation exposes law exposes self righteousness exposes but people who understand that, that, but for the grace of God, there go I. And God covered me through Christ. I'm not gonna gossip about you. Nor am I gonna pat you on the back and just approve. There's an, there's a difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept without approving. But we've gotta stop this thing we Christians are known for. When we see people at their lowest, we gossip about them. We talk about them. And then we wonder why they're not in church. Who are you covering? Who are you handling with grace? John says, when I saw Jesus, I saw a man full of grace and truth. I love that. People oftentimes won't hear truth until they first feel grace. Are you a gracious person? Because grace welcomes sinners. But there's more. Simon is taking in this scene and He's looking down his nose at this woman. And he mutters to himself, if this man, speaking of Jesus, were really a prophet, he would know what kind of person this this is. Meaning that Jesus would not allow this person to touch him. He wouldn't even be around him. Now it makes sense for Simon to say this because Simon is a Pharisee and Pharisee simply means the separated ones. They didn't hang out with folk like this woman. In fact... They had an inflated view of themselves. They were were high-minded and self-righteous because they would look down on people like this to the point where they couldn't even see their own sin. So Jesus says, hey, Simon, I want to tell you a story. Two individuals were in debt. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, don't get caught up on the differences in the amounts. Here's what you need to know. Jesus next says, and neither could pay. Both were in debt and neither one could pay. So it's as if Jesus is saying, okay, for argument's sake, this woman owes 500 denarii, you owe 50. That's like, that's like Simon, you bragging that she got a 37 on the on the test while you got a 49, when in reality, both of you have failed. You are no better than her. On the continuum of eternity, Simon, both of y'all are in need of a Savior. So let me just stop you right there. Then what's more, Jesus says, Simon, you had two jobs. It's like, you had one job. You had two jobs, Simon. You're the host. You invited me, right? I'm in your house, right? Here's your job. You were supposed to greet me with a kiss. You never did that. But from the time I've been here, this woman has not ceased kissing my feet. Number two, your job was to make sure my feet were washed. You didn't do that, but since this woman has been here, she has not stopped washing my feet. In other words, Simon, your hypocrisy has blinded you to your own failures, and not only that, the one you're looking down on is actually outdoing you. You really think you're better than some people, don't you? You're no better than that crackhead down the street around the corner. Your identity is in your virginity as if there won't be virgins in hell. You really think your stuff don't stink. And meanwhile, your self-righteousness is pushing your kids away from you. You don't really have friends because you're the first one to point out other people's faults. You're always one to criticize and criticize and criticize. Okay, you owe 50 denarii, but you can't pay it. What are we saying here? Grace welcomes sinners. Sinners but grace offends the self-righteous. It's offensive for me to think my church attendance doesn't get me into heaven. It's offensive for me to think that where I live doesn't get me into heaven. It's offensive for me to think that all my Bible study attending doesn't get me into heaven. It's offensive for me to think that my giving record doesn't get me into heaven. I don't do those things to get into heaven. I do those as a response to the fact that heaven has gotten into me So who are you? Are you Simon? Or are you this prostitute? See, I love this woman. Here's why. She goes above and beyond what Simon was supposed to do. That's how you know you've really encountered grace. When you've really encountered grace, grace doesn't stop at the law. Grace is, I want to do more. Grace isn't content with just 10%. I want to give more. Because Christ didn't just give 10% for me. Grace isn't just satisfied with coming to church. I want to do more. Because He gave His all for me. So what happens when we've really understood and received grace? Look at what he says in this story. Two things and I'm out of here. He says verse 41 a certain money lender had two debtors one owed the 500 the other 50 when they could not pay here it is he canceled he canceled he canceled say that word with me canceled the debt of both it's a picture of forgiveness Look at Colossians two verses thirteen to 14 with me should be on the screen. Paul writes, using the same imagery of cancel. He says, "In you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. here 's that word by canceling, canceling, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What was the record of debt? The record of debt was, was the offense of the criminals. It listed out, here's why they're being persecuted. In today's term, the idea of record of debt is when someone is convicted, it's, it's on their record. And if it's a felony, it stays with you. But there's something about our legal system that I love. On occasion, the legal system will go, your record has been expunged. The idea of expunged, It doesn't mean to ignore it, it doesn't mean to just overlook it, but it literally means I see it, but I'm completely wiping it out, and by completely wiping it out, I am restoring unto you the full rights of citizenship. That is what Jesus did for us on the cross. He looked at each of us and saw every sin we've ever done, are doing, and will ever do. And on the cross, he took out his divine sponge and expunged all of our sins away. And now we have the full rights of citizenship. And you want to remind people of their past? There's something else. Not only is there forgiveness, but lastly, there's restoration. He says in verse 50, the last verse, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Scholar Joel Green says this idea for peace, it doesn't just speak of inner tranquility. It literally means the idea of shalom. It means wholeness. That this woman now has been restored into right relationship with God, but here it is. She's also been restored to the community. See, our text, our story ends on a cliffhanger. And the question is, so how did the community respond to her? Did they receive her now as a daughter of God, having been forgiven through Christ? Or will they never let her get over the shame of her past? That's our question, isn't it? How do we relate to people who screwed up? Do we receive them with grace? Or do we greet them with law and judgment and condemnation? Two days after Christmas, my 19-year-old this year is moving out. And I'm writing up his severance agreement. He's uh, moving to Arizona. It's a 31-hour drive from where we live. I'm concerned about him. It's a long way to drive. So I've gotten him a credit card. It's got his name on it. With that credit card, he'll be able to put gas in his car. With that credit card, he'll be able to stop and get him something to eat. With that credit card, he'll be able to check into a hotel when he's tired. But as soon as he makes it to Arizona, he's going to have to mail that thing back. (laughs) Now, my son is never going to have to worry about making a payment because while this credit card's in his name, it's on my account. I've got all of his purchases covered. Friends, when we got saved, it's as if we got a spiritual credit card. We sin in our name. We grieve the heart of God in our name. We gossip in our name and slander in our name and do immoral things in our name. But God, not flippantly... With tears in his eyes, I believe God says, you'll never have to pay for that. Because on the cross, when they nailed my son, he made the payment. And when he made the payment, he didn't pay the small minimum payment. He paid the big number. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. But he's washed it white as snow. One community never gets so grown and sophisticated in your faith that you fail to be moved by the grace of God. Now what will you do with this grace? Having received it, will you pass it on to others? Or having received it, will you play the hypocrite? and be stingy with it. Every head bowed and every eye closed, whether in this room or right where you're at, watching online via one of your devices, I believe someone is here today and you don't know God as Lord and Savior. I believe when Adam and Eve were running around looking... For fig leaves to hide under, that God saw this day, November 29th, 2020, and ordained for you to hear this word. God wants you to know I see you, I know everything about you, and I still want you. I've got you covered covered with grace. And all you must do is come to me. Friends, that's too good of a deal to turn down. Will you say yes to His grace? If that's you and you would say yes to Jesus Christ, I would just encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I confess to you that like this woman and this Pharisee, I am a sinner. Just like everyone else in the world, I've blown it. God, I need you to cover me. Cover me with your blood, cover me with your grace. I invite you now to come into my life with the person of your spirit. Save me today. I also want to pray for you, Simons. I believe there is a spirit of self-righteousness that's eating away at the witness of the church of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations. For Paul says, speak the truth, but speak it in love from one fellow sinner to another. So God, would you forgive we, Simons, of our self-righteousness of our condemning attitudes, of our judgmentalism. God, today we receive your grace. We receive it not as a cul-de-sac where it sits. We receive it, Lord God, as a boulevard, as a river. May it flow through us to those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.